here come the blue shirts. If you weren't awake to play in that kind of game, then you weren't made to play hockey in Madison Square Garden. He's got experience in the streets and in the alleys. <laughs> and in the alleys. He will whoop your ass. Yeah. I'm looking better now than I did before. Ron, it's all names. your fault. It's over for all of you. Once I'm on the team. Well, you're going to have to let me dress you, though. <laughs> oh, 100%. You cannot, that, that's going to be Ron Duguay's third act. Molly off the air. Wow. <laughs> Molly off the air. It's a whole different person. Yeah. Up in the He'll blue be court side and I'll be up in the blue seat. <laughs> Ooh, welcome back to Up in the Blue Seats, our New York Rangers podcast from the New York Post. We'll be joined later in the show by a friend of the program now, former Ranger, former coach, GM, Tampa Bay Lightning founder, and now their radio analyst, Espo, is in the building, Phil Esposito. But first, let's welcome in your host of Up in the Blue Seats. That would be the queen of the post, Viva Las Vegas, Molly Walker and her co-host, Rangers great, number 10, Ron Duguay. Well, hi, everyone. Uh, Good to be back. Another week. Lots to talk about with the Rangers going back-to-back against Tampa Bay and, of course, Edmonton Oilers. This team just keeps impressing us with so much, uh, with their scoring goals, with the goaltending, the team play, the coaching. And now it's really looking. We have talked early on about can this team make the playoffs, and now they're really set to make the playoffs but we're going to discuss all that. And for me, I'm uh, I'm still on location as uh, I was last week. I'm still in Alaska. I'm having so much fun here that uh, I decided to stay another week. Uh, it's been a little bit different, but I have friends here that I'm enjoying my time with. And of course, I've had to endure Alaska weather, which meant 70 mile an hour winds that kept us in the house, cuddled up near the fireplace, which we're not going to discuss but having said that, I also... No, please do discuss. We want to hear about it. We want to hear about you. <laughs> Cuddled up by the fireplace. And as you guys can see me, I'm going with a different look. This is the lumberjack look. This is how the men dress in Alaska, plaid red. Uh, unlike what you're wearing right now, Jake, with your bright orange. Doritos. It's a red Doritos hoodie. So we do. We are matching with red. You are just a lumberjack and I'm just a weirdo. Yeah, but overall, I'm, I'm happy. Uh, it's been a good week. And Molly, I have to say, you're such a trooper because we do these shows and we have uh, our schedules are not always the same. We're moving around. We're different location. I know for you, it's been harder for you because you've been moving around so much. So here you are today working through writing about the Ranger for the New York Post. And you are in Las Vegas. And I think the question is from all the listeners Can you please give us an update on Panarin and the rest of the crew? Who's playing? Who can play? Who's not going to play? Yeah. uh, Thank you for acknowledging the tough schedule. It's it's been a lot. I just, no joke, just touched down in Vegas. Unfortunately, I missed practice, so I had to get the quotes. And and now I'm just kind of trying to put something together for the paper tomorrow. Then we have this great podcast that we have to do as well. Um, as far as an update goes, Panarin did not travel with the team to Vegas, but he could clear protocol in time to compete in Saturday's game against the Ducks in Anaheim, which would be great. Obviously, the Rangers are itching to get him back, even though the offense has been able to produce in his absence, which is something we can get into in a little bit. While Panarin is unavailable, the Rangers did get Jared Tenorti back at practice on Wednesday. Um, He hasn't played since November 21st against the Sabres, and that wasn't because of 
he was in COVID protocol. He was edged out of the lineup by Nils Lundqvist, but he hasn't been in the lineup because he's been in COVID protocol for the last couple of games. Um, Keandre Miller also registered an inconclusive COVID-19 test on Tuesday. Um, so he was held out of practice on Wednesday, but it was inconclusive. So head coach Gerard Gallant said he's confident that Miller should be good to go for the Vegas game, which is great. Um, in somewhat you know, sad news, Patrick Nemeth has been added to the non-roster status. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it just means that he's probably going to be out for the foreseeable future with what the team says is personal reasons. So obviously Gallant wouldn't elaborate on what those personal reasons are, but hoping everything is okay for him and he'll be uh, back in the lineup soon. So we'll see. But yeah, the Rangers have been really lucky as far as COVID-19 uh, goes. So the fact that they're getting players back and it hasn't been that much time off uh, is a real bonus for them. Molly, do you ever, because I know how difficult it's been for you, and this is all new to you, and I reflect back to myself when I first started doing television for Madison Square Garden, and I would sit at the desk and I would kind of look at myself as, wow, here I'm sitting next to Al Al Trodwick and I'm like thinking, wow, I'm kind of the face and the voice talking about the Rangers. So for you... As difficult as it's been, like, you know how many people would love to just walk into a Ranger dressing room, have access to the players, talk about the players, write about the players, work for the New York Post? Has this hit you yet? Like, wow, how awesome that is? You know, Ron, it, it really doesn't feel like a job. I think that's something that I say all the time whenever anybody asks me about it, which I feel like a lot of people can't say about their jobs. So I consider myself extremely lucky to be able to do that. But yeah, it just it doesn't feel real most of the time. But I, I definitely can't complain. <laughs> that's for sure. But let's get back to the Rangers first in the NHL. I mean, how about that? And, and I'll be honest with you, you know, I, and I'll admit I can be a bit of a Debbie Downer. I try to stay unbiased, level-headed, and you, you can, you know, you mix it up and, and you're definitely a little bit more positive than I am. But I will say after that Edmonton game for the first time all season, I kind of thought to myself like, wow, this Rangers team might be for real, which is, which is a lot coming from me, I'll say. Yeah. Another analyst who concurs is Dave Maloney. Dave Maloney had been asked, and, and Dave is right on top of things, as you are. He knows the heartbeat of this team. Uh, he's been the captain of the New York Rangers, so he's been that guy in the dressing room. He's been around good and bad coaching, so he has a feel for Gerard Gallant. And he is saying, listen, this team, not only are they for real, but they are a Stanley Cup contender now, today, especially after seeing how they compete against Tampa how they played against Edmonton, and you just look at the other teams. Now, there's there have been games where they've been exposed, but overall, they just keep getting better. The confidence level keeps getting up there. Panarin out of the lineup, and they're still – Zabinajat steps up on the power play especially. So when players are out, other players step in, and they seem to be fine. So is that what you're thinking, like they're for real or for real real, like – they are in the top six teams, potentially, with maybe an added player or two to win the Stanley Cup. Is that where you're at? 
I more so meant like I've read all, all, all online and everybody just keeps saying like, is this the Rangers year? Like, do the Rangers go for it this year? And this whole time I've been like, no, like don't rush it. You know, it's, you know, let it take its shape. Let the players like develop into, into who they're going to be. Let the team gel naturally. But I actually, after that Edmonton game for a split second, I kind of thought to myself, you know, why not? Why not this year? Why not them? Why not the Rangers? Why not just a handful of years after they announced the rebuild? You know, why not? Why not? So, and I think that's probably the most positive that you'll get out of me. Do I think that it will actually happen? If I were a betting woman, I would say no. But now would I be surprised if it actually did get to that point? No, because at this point, it's gotten to the point where when they're on the power play, I expect them to score. When they're playing teams that are below 500, I'm expecting them to win. And I can't really remember the last time that it was like that for this Rangers team. I mean, can you, Ron, when was the last time you remember feeling that way about this team? Well, it would have been the year where they actually went to the Stanley Cup Finals. And I think, <laughs> was that in 14? 2014. Now, that might have been easy to think that, although they kind of built into that and you saw the signs that they could do it. And of course, Lundqvist was phenomenal. But what happened in the Edmonton game, you know, one of the things that I saw weakness in the team is that if Sisterkin gets hurt, they need a backup. And whenever Georgiev would go in net, I'm like, oh my God, please don't hit the net. <laughs> and But against Edmonton in these last two or three games, we have seen something different because you really have to think about that. You know, with teams that go deep in the playoffs, things happen, injuries happen. And if you're in the second round, the third round, and your goaltender goes down for a few games... You have to know your backup can at least keep them in the game. And for what we've seen recently uh, with Georgiev, a position that I thought, you know, as a backup, they may have, they're probably going to have to fix that. But now after the last few games, he seems to be okay. Yeah, don't get me wrong. I do think that going off of everything I said earlier about how fortunate the Rangers have been with COVID and, and injuries in general, I, I do think that one bad injury or another one like Sammy Blay, you know, a season-ending injury or, you know, a long stint out with COVID that the lineup could get a little bare. But that's, again, that's a thing of luck. That's, you know, you don't know if that's really going to happen or not. But like you said, with Georgiev, he really has flipped the script from what was no doubt one of the toughest years of his career. I mean, start of 2021, he just was a shell of himself, honestly, in net from what we had seen in his first couple of years uh, in New York. The confidence wasn't there. You could tell he wasn't happy. But after the Edmonton game, I mean, he had the entire garden up on their feet chanting his name. And we asked him about it, about it after the fact. And you could tell how much it meant to him, you know, to think of where he was just at the beginning of the season mentally to be able to get to where he is now, hearing the garden chant his name, being able to be reliable and, and backstopping this team as they tread into first place territory. It does a lot for the confidence, does a lot for his mental state. And I think that it's done wonders for him just in, in terms of performance wise. And it really is a huge turnaround from the first 11 months of the year. Honestly, I think the last month going back to December, I think all but one team that he faced scored more than two goals. Every other team that he played, he kept two goals or under. And, and that's huge, huge for him, huge for the Rangers. And 
And who knows? I guess we'll just have to wait and see. Yeah. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot right now because you're on the road. You're with the team. They're in in Vegas. They're going Anaheim, L.A. Molly's prediction on these next three games with what you're seeing with the New York Rangers, knowing these three teams, Molly's prediction on the next three games. You know, I think if they can get two points over Vegas, that'll be huge. I think Thursday's game is the toughest on the schedule, obviously. And to take what two, four, six, eight points from Tampa, Edmonton, Vegas, that is that's something to hang your hat on, I think. So, you know, they they lost to Vegas earlier in the season. They had a three to two shootout loss. But again, they went to the shootout, so so uh, who knows? But a win over Vegas would be huge. As far as the California trip, I think it would be fair to say that they at least go to a one. I think they should beat San Jose. I think they should beat the Kings. Anaheim might be a bit of a of a trouble, bit a bit of trouble, but but we'll see. And then Philly, they should they should defeat too. So I, let's see. I don't know. What 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 does that come out to? One, I said one that, win. That comes out to a good road trip. Well, you, <laughs> right? you want to go 500, right? It's At always, least. you go on the road, least. you're always thinking, you're just 500. But if you go above 500, then that's kind of something, uh, that's an added bonus. It's a bonus if you go ever over 500. But the coaches are always thinking, let's go 500. And if we can do better, great. If not, then it works out so you'd like to do better on the blackjack table molly will you be partaking in any of the <laughs> fine local businesses in las vegas you know um, whenever I, I this is my second time in vegas i i did come here for spring break my senior year of college with all my friends for five days my i might add which is way too long for vegas if you're going to vegas don't go for that long you come um, back broke and yes. seriously and i'm always shocked coming out of the plane and seeing all the slot machines and stuff immediately, like it slaps you right in the face. But no, I, I am not a gambler. I, I will not be partaking. I just can't justify putting down money, you know, with a good chance that I'm not going to see it ever again. <laughs> I can see Molly at the penny slots. I see you at the penny slots, maybe not the blackjack or craps or poker. No, if, um, if, if I were to do it, I'd do blackjack. I do like blackjack. <laughs> okay, that's fair. All right, let's go to a couple questions from the Post Sports Plus members before we chat with the legendary Phil Esposito from Richard Ramsey. His question is, with Panarin out, do you think Lafreniere is doing enough to be promoted into the top six? Lafreniere hasn't hasn't looked bad at all the last couple of games in that, in that spot. I think that he's on his natural left side. He's on the second line next to a guy like Ryan Strom. And, and hey, the last two times that he's had a wide open net, he hasn't missed. That's something that's a, that's a huge positive for Lafreniere. And, and he just... He, he knows he's, it's an opportunity for him. He, he said it to us the other day. He understands uh, how big of a chance it is for him and he'll do it with it what he can. Yeah. And I have to say with Lafaniere and that type of player, there's a reason why he's gotten so many points. Players, certain players know how to be at the right place at the right time. Other players, they look like they're doing a lot of work, but they're not necessarily getting a lot done. A guy like that just knows when he's both times he's in that right place. He has a feel for how the play is going to go, how the puck's going to move, what he thinks his teammate's going to do. And he was just at the right place at the right time. That's not just a coincidence. That just happens when good players know where to be. All right, from Don Benson, will Ryan Reeves receive a tribute video? And then he asked, how do we get more production from Capo Capo and Philip Heedle? 
There will be a tribute video for for Ryan Reeves. I believe he was talking about it today. Um, big return for him and Gerard Gallant. So I expect both of them to get some sort of tribute video. As far as the second part of the question, for Philip Hedl, I've said it, we've said it on this podcast so many times. I personally think Philip Hedl needs to be surrounded by higher end talent in order to unlock his own. But that's a huge problem for the Rangers because the top six is is pretty crowded at the moment. And who who comes out if you put Philip Hedl up there? So that's that's the problem. I do think that Hedl should be on the wing. I think that that's an experiment that they should continue to try and figure out. Uh, whether or not it happens is yet to be seen. And then for Kako, same thing. I think Kako understands his role a lot better on this team. And it's shown in his play, even though he's not lighting up the stat sheet every night, he's, you know, carrying the forecheck. He's, you know, in the right places at the right times. He can get a little lost in the plays sometimes, but I think that right now he's playing to his role, which is really all that the Rangers are asking of him at the moment. Yeah, when I think about Hadel, I'm in agreement that I would love to see him on the wing. Less responsibility on the wing. He can use his speed, his size. He takes defensemen wide. He cuts to the net. So I'd like to see him. That would be a little more of a strength right now. And when you're a young man playing the NHL as a sentiment, there's a lot of responsibility. And he's not a guy that is not a physical player. So I would love to see him move over to the side, see what that looks like. Uh, more than anything else, it's every time he steps on the ice, he can't be thinking. And it's a nice problem that he's stuck on, I don't want to say stuck, but he's on the third line. That means you're on a good team. You're a good team that's winning. Your top six are good players. And if you happen to be on that third line, so what? You go out, compete hard, and you try, you just prove to the coach that you want to move up. So just keep competing hard, but I would love to see him on the side. As far as uh, Capo Caco, I, I, when I look at him, I feel like he's made some strides. He's a little bit stronger in the puck. He looks like he has more confidence. He is a threat with the puck. Uh, a lot of it is just knowing when he has the puck is knowing when to hold it, when to shoot it, and that sort of thing. I still think he's still trying to figure that out. But he's a threat. He works hard to compete. So I, I like I like his progress. We'll talk more next about one of the best teams in the league, the Rangers, with a Rangers great Phil Esposito. That's next on Up in the Blue Seats. I got to tell you, I make it hot and spicy. All right. Joining us now on Up in the Blue Seats, Jake Brown. Ron Duguay is a friend of the program making his second appearance on the show. He played for the Rangers for six seasons from 1975 through 1981. He was also Rangers head coach and GM alongside Ron Duguay in his second stint with the Rangers back in the late 80s. He's one of the greatest players in NHL history, a two-time Stanley Cup champion, a Hockey Hall of Famer, founder of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and now their radio color analyst. Let's welcome back to the show, Espo, Phil Esposito. How are you? I'm doing pretty well. Thank you. Uh, I'm just enjoying the life. You know what I mean? Enjoying the life. When is the last time you put on a pair of Sasson jeans, Espo? <laughs> we wouldn't have been able to fit into them then. We hardly could get into them. You got to make them special, especially for Doogie's ass and his legs. <laughs> That's what we, we, we had so much fun. You know, a lot of the fun is it's not just on the ice and winning and being teammates, but we just had fun off the ice. And that's really, that really makes the difference, especially, you know, as a team comes together. Cause when I think about our, our run to the Stanley Cup in, in 79, a lot of it had to do is we were just a, a band of brothers that got along, we would fight for each other. When you look at, when you look at teams nowadays and things are different with the players making big money, you got players from all over the world. 
Do you see the same type of uh, brotherhood uh, that we once had, especially with you when you look at your teams in Boston, the teams that won the Stanley Cup? Do you see that? Do you think that's something that's missing? I don't think it's missing, no. I think guys, when they get on a team, and if they want to win, they better be a team, or else you don't win. I don't care how good individually you have. If you're not a team, you just don't win. You need everybody. Everybody from the guy that plays four minutes a game to the guy that plays 25 minutes a game. Everybody has to be on board going the same direction. They have a lot more nowadays of structure. There's no doubt about that. I think they, you know, coaches have, what do you got, four guys behind the bench? In our day, there was one, then two. Uh, that was the most that I remember. So there, the structure was, you know, go out there and play and have fun. And that's basically was my philosophy, have fun at it. And when it stopped being fun, you might as well just call it a day. And that's what I did. And that's why I retired halfway through the season. Uh, and I retired, what, January of 81. It just wasn't fun anymore. It wasn't fun to get up and go to practice. and It, it, it just wasn't. I can tell you this. Early on, Ronnie Duguay and Donnie Murdoch kept me young. I used to pick them up for practice. I would live vicariously through them. Phil, don't hold back. You can share stories. <laughs> well, okay. Oh, he's got one. What do we, what do we got, Espo? <laughs> well, let's put it this way. When I picked, like, you know, you have to have the guy call Doogie about five times to get him up. And then he'd come down, and it was his turn to sit in the front seat, and Murdoch would go in the back and sleep. And so Doogie would tell me what happened the night before. And then the next time we go, it was Murdoch's turn, and Doogie would be in the back seat. I, I, I tell you what, I enjoyed that ride to the practice and enjoyed coming home and the practice with the guys. I enjoyed going out with them. I had more fun. They kept me young, man. They kept me young. And that was so important for me because I, I just didn't want to grow old. I was getting to be 37, 38 years old. If I didn't have those guys like Ronnie and Gresner and and, and, and uh, Murdoch, I think I would have probably just rolled up in a ball and became very old. But I had a lot of fun with those guys, a lot of fun. Well, Espo, looking back, uh, it was fun for us to have a legendary Phil Esposito be like a brother. I mean, you were more, you were a father figure to us, but also a brother, but you appreciated us and you like to have fun and to have leadership coming from the older players. That was important. And you're always there for us. So I've always appreciated that. And to this day, you know, we've been friends. Phil, I'm not, I, you know, when I look at, when I look at coaching, uh, Gerard Gallant is in New York right now, and you can tell he's making a difference over uh, Quinn. Uh, Quinn comes out of the college coaching level uh, but Gerard Gallant is old school and I think he's applying some of that stuff that you're talking about um, not be so restrictive on the ice be creative here are basic things to do basic systems but I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing the Rangers being successful yes they have skill players but they're having fun they're having fun on the ice they're competing against each other and they and they added Ryan Raves who 
provides a little bit of muscle. But my question to you, Phil, when you think about you coached and when you look at what it's like to coach today, do you think you could just step in and be able to be a coach in the NHL? If you do, you're going to have some – you've got to have some real good assistance that no X's and O's and all that other stuff, especially today. Then you've got to have video guys that break down every play. I mean, think about it. On the bench, Duke, they got these video things. Uh, what do you call them? Uh, iPads. Like laptops and all the rest of that stuff on the bench. I mean, you imagine us having that. I didn't want to. I wouldn't want to look at it because I'd be so upset at myself. I'd say, man. I don't want to do that play again. I just want to have fun, you know what I mean? Uh, but I, I got to tell you, coaching in the game nowadays is not easy. It wasn't easy back then either. I only coached because Tommy Webster got sick with his ear infection and he couldn't fly. And that's the only reason that I coached. I, I coached early on because when I fired Teddy Sainer, I put myself in the coaching until we could come up with a coach. And I had Cash with me and Eddie Jockerman, and both those guys were terrific. So it was kind of easy for me. I enjoyed the coaching part because that's the closest you can come to being a player. And you're right there on ice level, and you're making trying to make decisions to, for the team to win, and sometimes you make the wrong decisions. And uh, But, you know, that's part of the game. Coaching is not easy, I don't think, in this game nowadays. I can tell you this, dude, I would have loved to have been able to travel like these guys with their airplanes and the food. My Lord, they don't put beer on the plane very often anymore, but we would have, no doubt about it. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, Espo, you, you went from player winning Stanley Cup to coach to manage, and then you decided – you wanted to see a team in Tampa, the Tampa Bay Lightning. You're the founder of the Tampa Bay Lightning, I believe, 91, 92. And so when you look back as being the founder and the Lightning and you're there now, you're doing radio, what does it mean? Because they've won two Stanley Cups. What are your general feelings for yourself knowing you're the guy and you're when you step into that, when you walk up to the building, your statue's out there. How much does that mean to you? Well, the pitch needed some place to sit on, so that's why they put my statue up there. You know, <laughs> but seriously, let me put it this way: typical New York Ranger back then, for sure. I extended my contract. I had four or five years left on a contract when they fired me, and I didn't know what to do with myself. But I knew one thing: I could never get another job in New York in sports, especially hockey. I knew it wouldn't happen. I mean, look at Neil Smith. He won a Stanley Cup in 94 and he's never gotten a job again. And Lou Pinella told me the same thing. Louis said the only one that ever got a job back was Billy Martin. And uh, if you think about it and look around, uh, it's probably correct. But I didn't know what to do with myself. But I was on the marketing committee as a player. I was on the marketing committee as a general manager. And I knew they wanted to expand. I knew they were going to expand. And I finally, after two months of sitting in my basement and watching hockey constantly, I said, I think I'm going to go for a franchise. At the time, I wanted to go to Florida. There was no other, other place I wanted to go but Florida. 
I called John Ziegler and asked for the plan of six expansion. He sent it to me and he told me, don't go near Texas. I said, I'm not, I don't want to go to Texas. I want to go to Florida. And he said, okay, fine, I'll send it to you. He sent it to me. We read it up and down. My uh, lawyer and my friend and my partner was uh, uh, Henry Paul. By the way, his dad was the president of the Yankees, and Cleveland Indians. He was a baseball guy. But he helped tremendously in heading and pushing me to the right direction, and both Henry and I. And when I decided it was Tampa, I remember the first time I drove in here, I was in Orlando playing golf with my buddies from New York. And um, I went to the arena where the Magic play, and they wouldn't let me. Pat Williams, who ran the team there, the Magic, said, I'm not putting a hockey team, no hockey team here. He said, I had to deal with the, with the Flyers and Eddie, Eddie um, Schneider all those years, so I have no interest in having hockey here. So the only other place that I knew had a building uh, that was suitable was Miami. I went there, and Cunningham was there, who also played basketball and worked in, in, with the 76ers. He told me the same thing. So I called Eddie Snyder, and I said, man, what did you do to these guys? And it was a joke, but uh, as I drove into Tampa, I went, where are the buildings? There are no buildings. There was one building. It was called the Beer Can Building. It's round. And um, I, I couldn't believe it. It was the 12th largest television market in the country. Uh, well, our market, market research. And I said, well, this has got to be spread out like L.A. is. Well, really spread out. When I decided it was going to be Tampa, we knew we had to get a new building, and we just went for it. We went all the way for it. We had one owner, well, it was a group, that backed out on us when I was in Sweden playing with the old-timers against a Swedish old-timer team like Ophi and Anders Hedberg and Nielsen and, and um, uh, uh, Borja Salming and all these guys. And I took... Guys from the Islanders, a lot of guys from the Islanders, Billy Smith played goal, and I had Nystrom and, and Clarkey, and uh, it was just a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun, and we played uh, those two games in Sweden. I got a phone call at 3.30 in the morning telling me that they wanted to drop out unless I changed the deal. And I said, look, I'm going to be home tomorrow afternoon. Can't they wait till I get home and we can sit down and talk about this? And I got this word back an hour later saying no. Well, I said, well, the hell with them. Never in my wildest dreams did I think they would back away. And they did. And boy, was it a stretch. And we ended up going to this uh, uh, Japanese restaurant on just off 58th Street. I think it was called La Serena. And we were eating uh, Japanese food and, and um, a guy named Baba who I got to know, and he lived at Mount Pisco. I lived in Bedford, and I got to know him. And he said, look, there's somebody upstairs that has all these clients. He represents a lot of Japanese people. Well, I went up there, and we went up there and stayed till 3 o'clock in the morning talking. And he said to me, would you be willing to come to Japan? He says, I'm leaving tomorrow, and would you be willing to come over? And I said, if they're willing to get involved, Absolutely. He called me the next night 
and said, get your asses over here. And we got plane tickets and we went over there. And two weeks later, we came back with $33 million to supplement the 23 that I had raised. So we had enough. $50 million for the franchise, about $6 million to run the operation. And and the rest is history. Espo, you've built a hell of a franchise. And, you know, we keep saying the Rangers are the number one team in the East. Technically, the Lightning are right now. The Lightning have one more point than the Rangers. They've played one more game, but 49 to 48. Now, the Rangers did beat them twice last week. What if this happens in the Eastern Conference Finals, Espo? Lightning, Rangers, the, the team you founded that you're an analyst for against your old Rangers. Is it a win-win situation for you? Do you have rooting interest? Or do you, do you just want everyone to have fun if that series happens? No, I want the Lightning to win. Listen, me, there's no doubt about it. I'm a loyal guy. Dukes and those. I'm very loyal. I don't care. As far as I was concerned, they could have taken me out of the Hall of Fame as a player because God gave me talent. And I exploited that talent. And I was lucky enough to play with real good players. But God didn't give me talent to do what I did to raise that $54, $55 million. No way. God gave me talent for that. It was not quitting. Never quitting. And I'm not proud of it, but it cost me a divorce. It cost me every penny that I'd ever had. I had to start all over again. And I did. And life's been good to me. And I'm very proud of the Tampa Bay Lightning. Jeff Vinnick, who came in, is maybe the best owner I've ever met in my lifetime, certainly in hockey, and maybe in all of sports. The man is just tremendous. And what's happening down here, Ronnie, when was the last time you were down in Tampa, downtown? Um, it's been at least three years. Well, when you come again, you'll come down again. You won't believe how it's changed. And there's buildings all over the place. and They're building. In fact, you know, there's over $3.8 billion being put into downtown with condos, apartments, hospital. I mean, you name it. They're building a USF, which is a college. It's, it's unbelievable. And it all started with the building being built down there. And we knew that. And that's why we were so insistent on putting the building downtown. And there was nowhere for Tampa to go in that sense than up if we put the building downtown. And that's what we did. And it's really, really grown. St. Petersburg is really grown. So it's, uh, it's unbelievable what's happening to this area, and I love it. I absolutely love all the places I've ever lived. Don't get me wrong. I had the greatest success of my life as a player in Boston. So naturally, I enjoyed it. Sure, you always do, you know? And I really enjoyed New York because I could get, call my wife and say, come on, I'm going to pick you up at 10, 30, 11 o'clock and then go out to dinner, you know? We'd go to Elaine's or we'd go to Orn and Oreskes or we'd go to these places. And I really enjoyed that, really enjoyed it. So that got me through. But playing in Chicago, I mean, there was only six teams and it was not easy for rookies, not easy at all. But I, I've lived now in Tampa for 30, 
I think it's about 31 years, 31 years now. And I, I just find this place great for my liking. I like to play golf, even though I'm playing like baloney. I, I God, I'm playing bad. But I like to play golf, and I like the weather. I'm, I'm over the cold. I'm over it. And um, so what's not to like? I got hockey. If I want to go to a football game, I got football. If I want to go to a baseball game, I got baseball. I mean, what's not the like? The weather is beautiful. I love Tampa. I love that arena. I went a few years ago in Espo. Hopefully we get a Rangers-Lightning matchup, and I know me, Ron, and Molly will probably be there, and uh, I know you guys are supposed to hang out New Year's Eve, so we'll we'll redo that meeting, hopefully come May, maybe the Eastern Conference Finals. You've done a great job, and continued success with the Lightning radio broadcast, and appreciate you coming on, Espo. Well, if we can ever get through this BS that we're going through, I hope so. Thanks, Espo. Happy New Year. Take care. Happy New Year. Little messy at times, a little exciting at times. All right, Ronnie, that says adios to episode 71, the Keith Kincaid edition of Up in the Blue Seats, our Rangers podcast from the New York Post. Thank you, Jake and Andrew Hartz, for producing the show. Are you an Alaskan man now? I got to ask, are you are you Mr. Alaska now? Are you going to move there? Well, here's the thing about Alaska. It's kind of similar to where I grew up. I grew up north of Toronto, which is in a city called Sudbury. Sudbury's way up north, so we had some hard, tough winters. So this is kind of taking me back to my youth. And then one of the things that I miss, part of my youth, is being able to play hockey either on a pond or on a lake. So I was able to do that here. I've been able to do that here. And the fact that I know that I'm going back to Florida, then being here in the cold, I'm fine with it. But also what's changing, I'm having a makeover done on myself. I got the uh, lumberjack look. I'm having the Alaskan guy look. I've been driving around, moving around. Of course, you got to drop into a liquor store to get some tequila. But they all kind of look the same way, and I'm enjoying it. All right, well, he won't become Mr. Alaska anytime soon. But he's trying his best. I, I like the lumberjack, the plaid, flannel. I don't even know the plaid is a look. Andrew Hartz is a big plaid guy, so I think he appreciates a good plaid shirt. Do us a favor. Give us a five-star rating. Write in a nice review on Apple Podcasts. Give us a five-star rating on Spotify as well. We appreciate it. For number 10, Ron Duguay, Molly Walker, Andrew Hartz, I'm Jake Brown. We'll return next Thursday after these next couple of Rangers games. Stay hot, Rangers. Take away the Eastern Conference. Happy New Year, folks. We'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Ho, ho, ho to you.